Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you that we can gather together and worship together, worship as a congregation. I thank you for your word that we can read it and learn about you and learn about ourselves. And I pray that you help us to do that today. Help us to um, look at these principles from your word about rest and see how they apply to our lives. Help us to do that today, I pray. Amen. So I guess we're going to be a smaller group than normal because a lot of the ladies are out for the Sunday school hour. Uh, but today we're going to continue our study on rest, and we're going to look at rest in the poetic and wisdom books in the Old Testament. And so this will finish up our survey of rest in the Old Testament. So next week we'll move on to the New Testament. Um, and so those books that we'll be looking at are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Um, Song of Solomon doesn't have any references to rest, so really we'll just be in the other four books. But before we get into that, I want to just review quickly about what we've talked about over the past few weeks. And really, we can categorize what we've learned into two big groups, two big categories. Um, and so the first is that um, the way that rest is related to work, so that when we rest, we cease from work. So that's one uh, main theme that we've seen. Um, and the other is that how rest is related to your enemies. So um, God gave Israel rest to their enemies, and that was a ceasing from war and then everything that comes along with it, so the turmoil and all that stuff. And so those are the two main categories that we've seen so far. Um, and so let's, let's talk about that real quick. So what, what have you learned about rest from work? If you think about the last few weeks, what have you learned? Um, this, this isn't application necessarily, just what are some truths that you've learned as far as rest and work? Come on, I had to learn something. <laughs> yeah. Yes, even, God, even though God gave this command for them to rest as a blessing, they, they didn't do it often. They didn't think of it as a blessing but a burden. Yeah, that's right. So rest, uh, work for six days, rest for one. This is the command God gave the Israelites. Anything. What, what, whatever you've learned so far. <laughs> yeah, okay. So we haven't talked about that much, um, but it's true. And, you know, we, when you talk about work and its relation to rest, the, the, the very first Sunday we talked about how you need to work the right amount, and that's different for different people. Some people might be able to work five days a week and provide well for their families. Others might need to work six days a week to do that. Um, and we'll talk more about that towards the end when we kind of spend our last Sunday really going over application. We'll look at all those different nuances. Can you say that one more time? Yeah, God prescribed rest for the Israelites. He, you know, he, he did it after he, God created everything. He rested for a day, and then he told the Israelites to do it. And it wasn't just the, the Sunday or the Saturday rest. It wasn't just the Sabbath rest. 
Um, he had them resting on holy days. And then we also see examples in Scripture where other people rest. For example, um, when it's just too hard to work, like when it's too hot and things like that. Or if they're traveling, they'll rest, even if it's not on the Sabbath day. Yeah, that's right. So when the uh, pagan nations around them wanted to trade on the Sabbath, they, they did it. You know, they wanted to be like them. They didn't want to, to miss that opportunity to gain wealth and things like that. Yeah, and that's a really good point. They needed to trust God that they would still be provided for when they rested. And so work was different than our work is these days. You know, they had to work the field, and if they didn't, it didn't produce. And so especially on the Sabbath year rest where they had to let the land lie for a year, they really had to trust God that he would provide. And God even told them that he would. They, the year before, he'd give them food for three years from that one year to cover that year, the Sabbath year, and then even the year after. But yet they still didn't trust God. But, yeah, Brian? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, too. So God disciplined them for their lack of trust and obeying him, and he brought them to a place where they, they couldn't observe the Sabbath um, and they couldn't rest. They had no rest from their enemies, and they couldn't observe the Sabbath day. So kind of the, the two main ways that he was giving them rest, he took away from them. So you guys hit on a lot of good stuff. Um, a couple other things that are important is typically when work is talked about in the Old Testament, it's, talk, it's talking about vocational work or work that is for your provision. And so, you know, whatever you do to provide for yourself is the work that it's talking about. It's not talking about other things that we would call work, like my wife knits at night sometimes. That's work. Um, but that's not the type of work that we read about in Scripture. There's work that you need to do so that you can provide for yourself. So that's an important distinction. Um, also, the, the rest is above and beyond the sleep that God expects us to get. So that rest really was for a whole day, the Sabbath day. It, they weren't sleeping that whole day. They just weren't working. Rest should accompany trust that God will provide for you. We talked about that. Um, we know that rest is good because God did it, even though he didn't need to rest, because he didn't, doesn't get tired, but man does get tired and weary from his work, so we do need to rest. Um, okay, so that's what we've talked about for rest, and the other category is rest from enemies instead of rest from work. That was our first category. So what have you learned there? So what have you learned about rest from enemies so far in the Old Testament?
Yeah, yeah, God delivers from your enemies. And we're going to see that a lot today looking through the Psalms and especially the Psalms of David. Um, God delivers from enemies. Yeah, definitely. There was a tie between their obedience and how much rest they had from their enemies. So you see that in Judges, especially where there's these cycles of sin and they, um, they get, they're oppressed, they cry out to God, they're in sin, and when they cry out to God, they repent and God delivers them and it just kind of keeps happening over and over again. Yep. So God provides them protection. Is there anything that we can apply to our lives as far as that rest goes that he promised Israel? We talked about that some last week and the week before. So we know that God's in control, that he's taking care of his people. We also talked about this idea of God promised Israelites that they would have an eternal rest in the land, right? Um, and that we take part in that rest as well. And we'll talk about that a little bit more today, and then especially when we get into the New Testament. Um, so as we kind of go through these, you know, what we've learned, it's a little, it's a little difficult, right? with the Old Testament and what we've been going through so far because these books are historical books, they're narrative. So we're just learning about what happened in Israel's life. And of course we learn about God through that, uh, kind of about man as well. Um, but the commands that he gave Israel aren't, aren't directed to us. So we can't just, just take them outright and say this applies to us. Um, so it's, it's a little difficult to make application. We can make, uh, we can principalize the text, we can make broad application and, and see what we need to believe about God because you learn about who he is. Um, but, it, but it's a little bit difficult. However, the books that we're coming to today are different than all the other books we've looked at so far. So these are books that more talk about, um, they're, they're transcendent. The, the truths that we read, the, the principles that we read about, um, are kind of outside the scope of Israel, even though, like David's Psalms, when he's writing, of course, he's the, the king of Israel. He's talking about these truths about God that are all, you know, are, are eternal. And the things that we read about in Proverbs are principles that would apply to our lives as, as well. These kind of general rules that, that are usually the case that we can still live by. And so it's a little bit easier to make direct application to ourselves when we go through these books. Um, and so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through these few books and talk about rest in the poetical and wisdom books. Um, so the, the concepts that we find in these books, we can put into three broad categories. 
So we see rest from suffering, rest from work, and finally rest in the Lord. And so we'll go through those, uh, each of those things. And so the first would be rest from suffering. Um, so in the, in the wisdom books, rest from suffering is a major theme. Um, sometimes this suffering is brought on by enemies, um, in the case of David. But sometimes the suffering has, really has no good reason. The people don't know why they're suffering, yet they are. And so there's five things that we can learn about suffering in these books, and you can see them on the screen. But number one is that sometimes the rest given in death seems best. And so we see this in Job. Um, of course, you, know, you, you guys are probably familiar with Job. Um, Job wanted rest in the midst of his suffering. So remember that Job was a blame, blameless man. He was upright. He was a God-fearing man. He turned away from evil, yet he suffered greatly. He didn't know why. There was no, as far as he was concerned, he had, there was no logical reason for his suffering. Um, he couldn't think of any sin in his life, even though his friends kept telling him there's got to be something there. There, there wasn't. He, he said, I'll, I'll forsake all that. I don't, I'll give all that up if I just would have died at birth, if I wouldn't have had to go through all this. So just imagine feeling the way he did that great suffering. So he knew that in death, there's rest. So there's rest from all this suffering. You know, there's, there's rest from all these things that he listed. Um, the weary are at rest, the prisoners are at ease. Um, they do not hear their voice of the taskmaster. All these things that we deal with in life that are the result of sin for a righteous person when they die, that is no longer. They get to rest from that. And so he would have rather died at birth than go through the suffering that he was going through. Um, he talks about being able to lay down, to be quiet, to be able to sleep. You know, his descriptions of the boils, he couldn't even eat because it was so painful. But he wanted to rest from that suffering. So have you ever, has there ever been a time in your life where you might have felt like Job and suffered like that? Yeah. Anybody want to? Sh- <laughs> Don't you have the stomach bug? I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So in the midst of this, Job. He didn't know what was going to happen after, right? After his suffering, where he was, he was blessed again, right? He was, he, he had family. He had, he had his health again. <clears throat> but I think you know, we go through times, um, like if if our kids get really injured or hurt or in the hospital, these are times that are like this, where you just. You, you, you cry out to God, right? You, you do what Job did, and you cry out for help. And we're going to continue to see that, um, actually, in the next point. <laughs> um, that, that's something that we should do. When we're suffering, that's what we should do. We should cry out to God for rest in times of suffering. So that's point two. So you can turn to Psalms 3. 
We'll read a few verses there. Um, so as you're turning, you know, David, he had lots of enemies um, as he was became king of Israel. Of course, Saul, who was the king before him, tried to kill him. His children tried to kill him. He had he was at war a lot of his life. He had a lot of enemies. And in the Psalms, you really get a window into what he thought about his enemies and how he dealt with the turmoil and the struggle and the uh, the suffering there. Um, so Psalm 3, uh, at this point, uh, Absalom, his son, is pursuing him and wants to kill him. And David prays that God would give him rest. So let's look at Psalm 3. We'll just start in verse 1. It says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. So the idea that even his enemies think, we've got him. God can't even save him. We're going to kill him. But David says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. So he cried out to God. He cried out to God that God would protect him from his enemy. And you can see that God did in verse 5 and 6. So David was able to sleep. He was able to lay down. Why could he do this? And then in verse 6, he wasn't afraid. He could do this because the Lord sustained him. The Lord answered his prayer. The Lord gave rest for his soul. And so he was able to sleep. He wasn't afraid any longer. So this is an example where God answered his prayer really quick. If you flip over to Psalm 22, it's another instance where David cried out for rest, but God didn't answer him right away. And this also gives us an idea of what we should do when we cry out to God and we don't immediately get an answer. So Psalm 22, we'll read verses 1 through 5. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered, and you they trusted and were not disappointed. So in this case, you see again David suffering, him crying out to God, but God didn't answer him. But he doesn't lose faith, he doesn't lose trust, he doesn't curse God. What does he do? He remembers who God is, and he continues to trust him. He remembers the things that God did for his forefathers, um, for Jacob and Abraham, Isaac. He remembers the things that he did, and so he continues to trust God, knowing that God's timing is perfect, right? And so we should do the same thing. Um, So much so that, you know, this is something that Jesus did as well, right? When he was in the garden about to go to the cross, what did he pray for? He prayed that God would stop the anguish and the suffering that he felt just thinking about what he was about to go through. He asked for God to take the cup from him. But then what did he say? If it, you know, It's your will, not mine. So he was willing to do it if it's what God wanted him to do, what his father wanted him to do. So we should do the same thing. In our suffering, we should cry out to God. If we don't immediately have that suffering removed, continue to trust God. Don't, um, don't lose your faith. 
All right, the third point here is that suffering brings many emotions that we won't rest from. So Psalm 55 is another Psalm of David, and it tells us how he felt. And so there's a, the main thing here that I want us to get, take away from it is that it's okay to feel this way. A lot of times we think, well, we're weak, we're, we're, you know, our, our faith isn't strong if we feel these things, but that's not the case. This is, this is part of being human in the, in the state that we're in, in, the, in a fallen world. Um, but the, the point is to rely on God through these things. So Psalm 55, verse 1 says, Give ear to my prayer, O God. So again, you hear him, see him crying out to God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and am surely distracted because of the voice of my enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. So you can see what he's dealing with here with his enemies. Um, they're taunting him maybe, the, the voice of his enemy, and they're um, pressuring him, they're bringing trouble upon him, and they're angry about they're angry with him. And so in verse 4, David says how he's feeling. He says, My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. So you can see the type of anguish, anguish that he was in. His enemies bore a grudge against him, and that made his heart be in anguish, and he had fear of death. Terror of death fell upon him. He was fearful and trembling. And what did he want? He wanted rest from this. He wanted to fly away like a bird and be at rest. So he, he didn't want to feel these things anymore. And he's praying to God that God would, would take these things away. Um, so another aspect here of suffering and rest is that um, to rest and wait for the Lord to inherit the land. And so this is in Psalm 37, so you can turn there. This is another Psalm of David. And really the context in this, in this uh, chapter of Psalms is to not envy or, and not fret over evildoers. So Israel could see the surrounding nations. Um, Patrick mentioned this earlier. You know, and they're always comparing themselves to them. And they see their, their seeming prosperity Kind of their carefree attitude about God. Um, they worship idols. They don't worship God. Um, and Israel is tempted to become upset, to look at them and say, well, you know, why, why can't we have that? Why, why do we have to um, suffer for our, for our sin? Um, so with that, we come to verse 7. So Psalm 37, 7. It says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evildoing, for evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no longer. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land, and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. So instead of fretting, instead of getting angry about these uh, evildoers and the nations around them, Israel should instead rest in the Lord and really wait for God to take judgment on those people, um, those evildoers who prosper. So there's a contrast here between the evildoers and those who rest in the Lord. Um, look at verse 9. 
It says evildoers will be cut off. Evildoers will be cut off. This happens at the end of their life in death. So in life, there's still common grace that God's giving them. Um, even though they're evildoers, they have life, right? And in this case, even prosperity. But in the end, they will be cut off from God. However, those who rest in the Lord will inherit the land. So the idea here, they're, they're not going to get cut off from God. Um, instead, they'll be, they'll be able to be with God forever. And so you might say, well, you know, aren't they already in the land? Why is David saying this? Um, and it's because David's really speaking about in the future, the, the eternal rest that they'll have. So note in verse 11, it talks about the humble will inherit the land. So this probably reminds you of Matthew 5, 5. It says, blessed is the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. There's the same idea here is that there's a final place for you. The righteous will inherit the land. There's a final place for you to rest, a place of rest. Um, and we can take part in the same thing as, as believers. And we'll see a little bit more of that in Psalm 95, which we'll talk about today. And then, of course, Hebrews 4 in the New Testament later. Uh, so finally, point five here about suffering and rest. That God provides rest for our soul when under extreme distress. So you can turn to Psalm 116. And so um, when we're weary due to extreme distress our soul can find rest in the Lord. Um, so rest for their soul would be extreme peace, knowing that you are reconciled with God and that you are his, that you know that every, God has everything in control, that he cares for you, and in that you can rest in the Lord. And so we saw this in Jeremiah 6.16 uh, last week, where Jeremiah says, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. So the idea here that God's, the, the prophet's telling them, go back and obey God, obey what he told you uh, through Moses, and you can have rest. But of course, they didn't obey. Um, so in Psalm 116, it describes this similar, a similar concept. And so we don't know who wrote Psalm 116 or even what the occasion was. We don't know exactly why the author was suffering, but he was. Whatever it was brought distress and sorrow so much that the author felt like he might die. Um, however, through all this, the Lord saved him from his distress and gave his soul rest. And so now, really, this is a psalm of uh, thanksgiving where the author is thanking God. So let's start in verse 1. It says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So right away we know that this man is a God-fearing man. He says, I love the Lord. I shall call upon him as long as I live. So he's a righteous man. We know that God saved him from his distress. We don't know how, how God did that. But look at how he describes God as gracious, as righteous. So God does what's right. He's compassionate. He's a God who hears his voice. He's also a God who inclines his ear to me. So what comfort is that? Knowing that God is someone who, when his, his people talk to him, he inclines his ear to you. 
So he's listening. He's listening intently. He wants to hear. He cares. So we should remember that as we pray as a believer, that he inclines his ear to us. So the author's soul was at rest after God dealt bountifully with him. So we can have this same rest by putting our faith in God um, through our suffering, just like this psalmist did. So have there been times um, in your life where you you cried out to God um, during your suffering? And would anyone like to share maybe how he provided for them uh, through that? How he provided rest for them through suffering? Cindy? Yeah, that's great, seeing how the Lord provides for you through that suffering is a great comfort. Anybody else have examples of God providing rest for you through suffering? There's a lot of comfort uh, knowing people are praying for you and lifting up your concerns to God. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, knowing God's word and remembering who he is, right, through, through this. Um, like, like what uh, David did, right? When God didn't answer him immediately, take his suffering away, he remembered who God was, that he could trust him, right? That he provided for uh, people before David and that he was going to do the same. Okay, so our next, um, our next topic here is rest from work. Rest from work. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, this is one of our kind of broad categories about rest in the Bible. Um, what we rest from is... Uh, one of the things that we rest from is from work. So the idea is ceasing from work, stopping work, um, to get rejuvenated, to rest. And again, that is talking about vocational work. Um, it's the type of work that if you stopped, um, you would you would be um, you would live in poverty. You couldn't you couldn't provide for yourself. Um, so the fruit of this work provides you with shelter, clothes, food, transportation, etc., whatever it, you need to live, whatever is necessary for life. Um, this is why to rest from this work requires trust in God to provide for you. So today, this might be a little different, as I mentioned earlier, than Old Testament times. 
Um, and even on, in our society, we have a, a five-day work week, for example, um, instead of a six-day work week. And of course, the reason for this is that we're a Judeo-Christian nation um, where they said, well, there's, there's Jews and their Sabbath is a Saturday. Christians have the Lord's Day on Sunday. So we'll, in general, take both of those days off at work. I know that's not true for everybody. Um, so if you have two days of resting from work, and even if your work's a lot easier than the, um, than the Israelites in the Old Testament, even still, we should still trust in God and know that even the fact that we are in this situation is a blessing and kindness from God. And so any extra time that we do have not working, we should spend wisely uh, during the weekend, for example, and not be idle. So let's see what these books say about resting from work. So there's, again, there's five points here. And so the first point is being a sluggard leads to poverty. Being a sluggard leads to poverty. So Proverbs 6, uh, you can turn there if you like. Uh, it talks about um, the ant and compares the sluggard to the ant. And as we go through, especially the Proverbs, there's some other um, negative words for rest, if you will. And those are idleness, laziness, um, being a sluggard. So this is when you're, you're resting, you know, you're not working, but you're not doing it like you should. You're doing it too much. You're doing it at the wrong time. So let's see what Proverbs 6 says. So Proverbs, Proverbs 6, verse 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or rule, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Oh, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little slumber, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your knee like an armed man. So a sluggard is someone who's lazy. They, they don't want to work. You think of a, sl a slug, right, is slow moving. It is someone who nothing ever seems urgent. You know, they're just, nothing will get them out of bed quickly. Um, they, just, they just want to lie in bed and sleep. So here Solomon is telling the sluggard to instead be like the ant. Look at the ant who, who does all the work and no, you know, no one's forcing them to do it. They just do it. And the sluggard should learn something from the ant and, and get up and work. But, but he doesn't. He just lies there. And he says, a little sleep, a little more slumber. Um, and the slumber is a little bit different than sleep. Sleep would be like you're sleeping. Slumber would be um, dozing off. You know, you can think of someone in their armchair at night kind of nodding off. That would be more the idea of slumber. Um, and then even when they're not, you know, sleeping or slumbering, they're still not working. It says, um, let me fold my hands and rest. The idea is that they're up, but you can't work if you're doing like this, right? I mean, we use our hands to work, so they, they can't work. They're just folding their hands and, and continuing to rest when they're not asleep. So the slugger doesn't, um, and so then in verse 11, it, it tells us what happens to the sluggard. The poverty will come in like a wanderer and need like a burglar. So the idea really is that the sluggard is just is blindsided by this poverty. He just doesn't get it. Why? I don't understand. Why, why am I in poverty now? He can't, he, he can't connect that his lack of work and his laziness is what causes this. And so you, you see other... Um, Verses in Proverbs that say the same thing. Uh, Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. Pretty much verbatim have a few of these verses. 
say the same thing. Proverbs 19.15 says, Laziness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. Um, so again, the idea if you don't work, it'll lead to poverty. And then Proverbs 20.13 says, Do not love sleep, or you will become poor. Open your eyes, and you'll be satisfied with food. So the idea here, again, if you sleep too much, you'll become poor if you're not working. Um, but also work. Work for the food that you eat, and you'll be satisfied with it. You'll enjoy it. And we're going to see this as we go along, um, that one of the things that we should do is really enjoy the fruits of our labor. Um, and that's our next point. So working to gain earthly treasure leads to no rest. So this is in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So these verses, they describe really a heart motivation um, that leads to excessive work. And so these are motivations that we'd want to avoid. Um, so Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17, we'll start there. It says, so I hated life. And this is Solomon again writing this. So I hated life for the work which, has, work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. So he's describing himself, who's, he's working with futility, he's gaining all this wealth, but he won't get to use it. Right? He's going to have so much wealth when he dies, he's going to have to pass it on to someone else. And so it's futility, he says. And then continuing in verse 19, And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely dis despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days this task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. So this work that he's doing to build this wealth it's so consuming that he can't sleep. His mind just always racing. He's always thinking about what he's going to do next, how he's going to make more money, how he's going to build wealth. And then the last few verses of this chapter really tell us how, how we should act instead. Instead of acting like this, thinking like this, what should we do? So uh, Verse 24 says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? For a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after wind. So eating, drinking, and labor are all from God. Right? This fruit that we gain from our labor, it's from God. And we need to understand that. So enjoy those fruits. Enjoy them now. So whatever you get from your work, you know, your paycheck, think about it as this is from God. And then also enjoy the things that you get to do with those resources. Um, don't store up wealth just to make a name for yourself, just to, just to be rich. You know, this isn't talking about saving. This isn't talking about things like that. It's talking about the notoriety, the I'm going to be the richest man in the world type of motivation, and I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to work myself to death to get there. That's, that's what this is really talking about. Um, 
if that happens, you'll die and you, you won't be useful to anybody. The, the fruit won't be, won't be useful to you. So instead, take enjoyment of it uh, now. And again, we can't do this without God. God's the one blessing us. He's the one um, providing for us. And so you always need to remember that, that it's God doing it. It's not us doing it, um, even though we take part. So Ecclesiastes 5.10-17 uh, relates to this as well. But we'll, we'll skip that. Um, the third point here is don't labor too much, don't rest too much. So there's Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 8. The context here is that Solomon just finished saying how he saw all the oppression of people, how um, the oppressed and even the powerful people who were oppressing them had no comfort. And he goes on in verse 4 talking about the competition that people are in with each other. I mean, you probably heard the phrase keeping up with the Joneses. The idea that you see your neighbor and oh they got a new lawnmower so I can get a new lawnmower and all that stuff uh, that's related to this for sure um, but what he's saying is that this is evil you know laboring to best someone laboring to look better than someone else laboring to have more than someone else is evil so let's look at Ecclesiastes 4 4 it says I've seen that every labor and every skill which is done is a result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor this too is vanity and striving after wind the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. So there's a, some interesting verses. Um, to the opposite of someone who labors too hard um, to rival his neighbor uh, is the one who folds both hands. So the one who doesn't work again, right? He's holding his hands, he can't work. So you've got the person who's, who's working so much to look better than everybody else. You've got the guy folding his two hands that doesn't work. But in the middle, you have um, the person who said, Ephesians 4, 6 describes one handful of rest. And so really what he's saying here is work so that you have enough to fill one hand. That's enough for you. Work so that you have enough to provide for yourself, and then you'll get to rest. Right? You can have one hand, that's enough stuff, that's enough provision, and then rest. So the verses go on in verse 7. It says, Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. So laboring with no end and depriving of pleasure is vanity and grievous as well. So the idea here is to rest, not to work so much. Not to just work and work and work and work. Uh, and also, there's an idea here that we should take pleasure in the fruits of our labor um, and enjoy what you have. So there's a concept that I think we miss sometimes. We sometimes think it's, it's unholy to enjoy to have pleasure, to take pleasure in something, to be entertained, to, to really enjoy something that you bought, for example. Um, but that's just not the case. We should. We should do that. We should take pleasure in all the provisions that's God, that God has given us and take time to enjoy it, to enjoy those things. So the final point here is to labor wisely. So that's Ecclesiastes 11.6. Um, and there's a few few different points here. So we should labor uh, wisely 
by working at the right time, by working at the right time. That's Ecclesiastes 11.6 says, Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them will alike be good. And then Proverbs 10.5 says, He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. So the idea here is that we understand risk, we understand precautions that we should take as we work, we should have redundancy in our work, um, we, should, we should try to make sure our work succeeds, right? We should try to do well at it. Um, and when our work calls for doing certain tasks at certain times, we should do those tasks at the right time and not do it at a time that won't give us provision. Also, um, let's make sure that when it's time to work, we're not idle. So Proverbs 31, 27. The Proverbs Proverb 31 describes an excellent wife. And um, a, a big chunk of this section is about how she works. <clears throat> and she works and isn't idle is the big idea. So in um, 31.13, it describes her work. It says, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She's like a merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portion to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. So she's not idle. She works. She works hard. And Proverbs 31, 27 says, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So the principle here is to do your work well. Don't be idle when there's work to be done. So I don't think we're going to have time to go over the, the last uh, section, which was resting in the Lord. Um, so we see that here as well, that uh, believers should not only rest from their work, should ask, should cry out to God for rest from suffering, um, but should also actually rest in the Lord. And so we'll, we'll go through that uh, next week. Are there any questions or anything that you wanted to discuss further, Stephen? Yeah, so the, the prescription to work six days and rest one. So we have, there's two things. We have God did that as an example, right, in creation. Um, and then we have him commanding the Israelites to do that, right, to work six days and rest one. 
Um, so we're not Israel, so we don't have that direct command. So that's number one. So it's not prescriptive for us necessarily. Um, but then we have lots of verses about, you know, working enough to provide for yourself. And that's really, I think, what it comes down to. And so make sure that you work enough to provide for yourself and your family. Um, and we went over this the first time, but there's other principles here, like work enough so that you can um, give to those in need, uh, work enough so that you can provide comfort for your family. So that would be above and beyond just providing food and shelter and clothes, right? There's a little bit more to that. So make sure that you're doing those things and working enough to do that. Um, and then after that, so let's say, you know, you work five days a week. Uh, what do you do with those other two days? So that would be important. Um, so we need to be honoring God with all the things that we do there. We need to, and I think most of us work a lot, um, do a lot of non-vocational work, right, during the weekends and on weeknights <laughs> when we get home from work. It's like all the service that we do in church. And when do we do that? It's not usually, it's not during our work hours, our vocational work hours, except for Greg. <laughs> um, but, but we do that in those other times. So it's, it's, I'm still working through some of this because I really do think there's a big distinction between vocational work, which is what most of the verses talk about that we've gone over so far, and the other work that we do that's still work, it's still effort, um, and it, we, st we still get weary from it too. Um, you know, what's the interaction between, between those two things? So just, like, just to give you an example, my wife and I were just talking because I'm really busy at my, in my vocational work, and then I've been doing studying for this the last few weeks, and it's like all my time, really, and uh, it's, it's draining. And so talking about how let's, you know, just work it so that like Sunday afternoons I'm not doing this or my vocational work, right, like setting some time to rest. So I think it's a, it's a wisdom issue for us as believers, um, because we don't have a, a prescription from God. Um, but yet there are principles, and I think the one that most of the time we should be working, like what Brian mentioned, that's still true. Um, idleness is not good. We get into trouble when we're idle, so we need to keep that in mind too. But we're going to talk about this more. I'm going to keep thinking about it, and that's really the goal for the last class. I want to to kind of a systematic theology of rest. So we're doing the front end work now. Let's just see what the Bible says about it. And then we'll, we'll summarize it and we'll apply it to our lives and um, think about all these questions because they're good questions. Okay, I'll pray for us and we can be dismissed. Father, I thank you so much for your word and I, I just pray for wisdom for us. Wisdom as we... You know, look at your word and really consider how we should rest, especially when um, the world loves it and, and hates work. Yet we know that work is good, that it's the way that you uh, provide for us, and rest is good as well. So I pray that as we work through these things, that you give us wisdom, that you give us humility and really submit to your word and to, um, to think about how to apply these things to our lives. And I pray, pray this in Christ's name. Amen.